Hey, thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. To unlock the extended bonus conversation, sign up at patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the Create Unknown. I am Kevin Lieber. With me, as always, is Matthew Tabor. We're doing this episode a bit quick and dirty because things have been very crazy for the both of us lately. Yeah. Matt, you just got back from Australia. Uh, last yeah. week, I spent in Philadelphia shooting a thing that I got hired for that you will all see in mid-December. And uh, what we want to talk about here today, though, is networking stuff because... It's. I know it's definitely must be hot on your mind since that's sort of been what you've been doing in the uh, in the upside down over there in Australia, right? Yeah, uh, we had some workshops uh, with Changer Studios. They're doing some really cool stuff in Australia and New Zealand, and so yeah, it was New York to Las Vegas to Auckland to Brisbane to Melbourne to. Las Vegas, which is where I am now. So yeah, still not even home. But in uh, in those workshops, uh, the first one was kind of um, people who were earlier on, not necessarily just getting started, but but in that like really early growth stage, primarily uh, YouTubers. YouTube. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. There were a couple of people who were, who were really starting fresh, and then some uh, who you know they're they're small and they want to not be small. Um, and then in, uh, uh, Melbourne, uh, we, we talked with some people who have done it all really successfully, you know, people with six figure, uh, subscribers and stuff like that in all sorts of different, different areas. So, uh, one thing that came up kind of a, a theme in all of it was the social side of all of this stuff, whether it's creatively, because, uh, well, that's the, the, when we say networking, well, let's back up on that. Networking mm-hmm. is so many different things, right? Yeah. It's, there's the creative stuff where it's, you know, it's like, uh, how do I, I work with other people, even if it's not explicit, like how do I get involved in a creative community? So my stuff will get better. And then there's, there's like the professional networking uh, where it's like, oh, what can I do? That's going to, you know, land me like some money or something, uh, you know, some kind of professional relationship that results in a brand deal or sponsorship or um, access to facilities. I mean, it's across the board. And so all of that stuff, though, is generally people based networking. So whether somebody's just getting started or yeah, I mean, we talk about it. Don't we? We talk about this stuff every single day. Well, I was going to say that it doesn't even really matter what industry you're in at all. Like, <laughs> obviously, like networking has been a thing a lot longer than the internet, let alone YouTube have. But it's fresh on my mind in a way because I was just on a call recently to go over a panel that I am leading. Mm-hmm. I'm moderating in a couple of weeks in Tokyo that I'm really excited about. But the 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 point is... This panel is made up of professionals in different industries, okay? So in the games industry, as well as the traditional media industry, and the people on the games 
industry side are saying, hey, how do we get in with the traditional media people to expand our reach and our audience and our influence and our legitimacy? Because in a lot of ways, it sounds like the gaming industry, not unlike the YouTube industry, has kind of a failure of legitimacy in the eyes yeah. of older media. So that the people who are work in games industry are trying to get the accolades or the attention of old media. And then guess what? The old media people are trying to get like the influence and the younger generation and the eyeballs of the games industry. Very similar to what's happening with YouTube. And so these people are 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 trying to build bridges between these industries and all trying to figure it out, you know, because it is so nascent mm -hmm. in tapping into like the resources that one has and the other doesn't. The newer people who want the legitimacy want to be taken seriously. And the ones uh, like in the traditional space don't want to come off as how do you do fellow kids memes. Yeah, boomers. You know? <laughs> okay, <Yeah>. boomer. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So which, uh, yeah, I just proved to be a boomer by using the example from like seven years ago. Instead exactly. Of seven minutes ago. Yeah. yeah. So, so I'm a failure on that front. Um, but there's a big personal component to this stuff, too, because uh, some people love love talking to other people and going places and and just being like, oh, there are 100 people in, in a room like I want to talk to 98 of them in the next hour. Uh, and other people, most most of the ones I know on YouTube um, are just not like that. They're not they're not that that type of person. You know, the personality is quite quite a bit different. It's a lot more solitary. Um, there's like, you know, it ranges from just not really wanting to do it to having really serious anxiety about about having to do that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's. That's, I think, why it's so important that we talk about this, because everybody, no matter where you're at uh, geographically or whether you're like 15 or, you know, 75, um, you've got your own your own challenges with this stuff. And it's extremely important to do it and what, to work within I, the confines of who you are. Exactly. And, and with that, it's also like as personal as it is with the, the, the personal and temperamental challenges that you may have, it's all very kind of the same thing. Meaning like whether you're on the YouTube side or you're on the TV side or you're like a vacuum cleaner salesman and you yeah. go to like vacuum cleaner salesman conventions where you need to make connections with people who sell like rug cleaners <laughs> <laughs> you know, like whatever yeah. it is, it's kind of the same thing. Um, you know, we go to all sorts of different conferences mm -hmm. and different conventions for different things, not just YouTube, but they look, they're all the same thing. It's a bunch of people who feel kind of awkward, some less so than others, trying to figure out uh, what kind of things that they can do for each other, really to work together in the future. And I mean, this trip that you just went on to Australia literally came from what a totally impromptu five minute conversation yeah. at VidCon. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, it is kind of crazy. I, I hadn't, 
I hadn't thought of it like that until uh, Fred and and Ant are the two guys at uh, at Changer, and I met Fred at uh, at VidCon this summer, uh, and it was uh, like somebody he knows, a creator from Australia, was talking to you, and you know, I I was just standing there, and he was just standing there, and we started talking, and I bet we talked for like five minutes. That was it, five minutes, and then four months later i'm like touring australia with them you know <laughs> yeah uh but yeah Thanks. i didn't even see them the rest of vidcon so know, we just went to email after that that's what i was going to ask how did what were the next steps like how do you go from five minute conversation with complete random person you accidentally started talking to to right. then being invited to like across the globe uh yeah. to do a bunch of really cool stuff Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't, I didn't know Fred or Changer or any of those guys really. Um, I know a few, uh, Australian YouTubers, but I'm not an expert on the scene there, you know? So, uh, here's, here's the big networking secret. Okay. The, the one thing that everybody is interested in, and, and this is like sector, or I mean like worldwide, right. Independent of whatever you're doing. And I mean, like this can be uh, making friends at a bar, like the same principle applies. The thing that pretty much everybody is interested in is themselves. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I knew you were going to say that yeah, <laughs> talking about like, themselves. Yeah. And if you have a legitimate interest in just getting to know what people do with their time and their lives, then it's really easy. You're not even networking. You're not doing a th- like, a thing where it's like, I want to convert this person into an important contact. It's not, it's just a curiosity about what other people are doing. And so I, I didn't know anything about uh, Australian YouTube. So I was happy to ask Fred, you know, basically, what do you do? You know, tell me about what you do. And I was sincerely interested in his, uh, in his answers. And then I asked him follow-up questions. So, um, you know, is it, is it tough to talk to somebody for five minutes when they're really sincerely interested in who you are and what you do? Absolutely not. You know, that's if somebody comes up to you and they're just into you, uh, it's, you're going to feel good about it. Right. But the, the, the important part is asking questions because, you know, you and I temperamentally are very different and that's actually one of the reasons that I'd like to go to events with you <laughs> mm-hmm. is that you are more of a, a of an extrovert than I am and you have an easier time striking up conversation. I, I really don't. I never have uh, mm-hmm. in my entire life. Like I've never been a person that was was comfortable talking to strangers. <laughs> that's that's such a lie, though, because uh, when you were bartending so many years ago, like you were a really popular bartender. Everybody wanted to go like to the place when Kevin was working uh, and you talk to people like you did exactly what I mean, you may not have liked it or not, you know, you may not have like been thrilled, like I'm going to go out and talk to people for seven hours as I work, but you're, but you're good at it and people enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, well, I never thought about it like that, but when you're bartending, not to go off the rails too much, but I had something to do. Like mm. while, like I was in, like I had an activity while I was talking. 
And that makes a huge difference for me. Like while I was bartending, like I'm doing a job, I can clean things, I can serve different customers, I can get them a drink, I can ask them, hey, how do you like the drink? Do you want me to make it differently next time? Like like I am uh, kind of plugged in to not feeling awkward, actually. I never felt awkward at all. That's what I liked. Uh, One of the things I really liked about bartending is like I felt like I had a purpose Mm-hmm. And that the talking was a lot more natural that way. So when I walk into a room at a convention where uh, there's just a crowd of people milling about and I'm milling about and and you know what? Often the only thing to do is like eat, like eat hors d'oeuvres <laughs> and like yeah. drink, which yeah. neither of, quite honestly, neither of those two things I'm comfortable with doing mm-hmm casually in public man it's a whole different dynamic for me to just be able to walk around at that point and be like hey you know what do you do stranger (laughs) (laughs) i think of the thing in uh in office space where the bobs are interviewing uh the one guy and they're like so so what is it you do here (laughs) yeah yeah No, you're right, though. There's a massive difference between something like bartending where you have 85 built-in mechanisms uh, to, like, disengage from a conversation, to start up a conversation, to continue one, to uh, distract yourself, um, you know, from, like, purely standing there and making eye contact. You know, when you're in, like, a convention room or something like that and everybody's standing around, it really is what you said. You've got food drink which if you really commit to the drinking one uh if it's during the day you're going to drink yourself into the bathroom in like 15 minutes if you just slam water and soda um and if it's a nighttime thing where you're drinking more than water and soda uh that can very well go badly on the networking side (laughs) that's a a seriously high risk venture uh, and it is truly a sink or swim prospect. Um, it, but yeah, you've got what you've got and what you brought, which, you know, maybe it's like, like, this sounds weird, but if you have a bag of some kind, then you've almost always got something to do with your hands. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a, if you're wearing a backpack, it's not weird to like hold on to the straps of the backpack as you're talking. Mm-hmm. It's just not. Um, you know, I wear a side bag a lot. Well, I can like rest my arm on that bag and like half of my hands are dealt with then. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't have anything at all, you're really just sitting there or standing there like with your hands in your pockets or not. And <laughs> it's, it seems like such a, a stupid little detail, but it matters when you're in a conversation for 10 minutes. Like, how do I stand and what do I do with my hands? But you also, I'm so glad you brought up the bag because I've seen you, you have that, that baseball bag, right? Yeah. The Rawlings. Yeah. So, so Matt mm-hmm. has this really nice bag that is basically modeled after a baseball glove. Is, is, is uh, that fair to say? It's made out of the exact same leather that Rawlings uses on the gloves. So, okay. Right. Yeah, that line of stuff is they use the same material to make it, but it's a bag. It, it's not shaped like uh, like a glove <laughs> or anything. It's, no, no. no. <laughs> That'd be funny. It's, 
it's a standard like rectangular side bag, but um, you know, it's nice. And it's got the, the Rawlings logo and, and most people who played baseball as a kid had a glove uh, like a Rawlings glove at some point. Um, you know, so like they recognize that's a good kind of conversation piece. Conversation piece. That's exactly yeah. what it made, made me think of is like, you have this bag, it's made out of baseball glove leather, and it becomes kind of like a thing for you to talk about with people. It also, it almost reminded me of back in the day when I went through like a phase where I was super obsessed with comedy. I, I, I read a lot of books about stand-up comedy and watched a lot of documentaries and blah, 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 blah. Point is prop comics and like guitar playing comics are considered like the bottom of the barrel when it comes to stand-up. They are yeah. considered like the low man on the totem pole because you're relying on an external object. It's like a crutch. It's like you walk up on stage with a guitar or you walk up on stage with some goofy shirt and the first joke that you make is like, hey, why am I wearing this crazy shirt? It's <laughs> <laughs> like that, that's like a trope. It's, it's like, well, you clearly wore that shirt <laughs> in order to – just make a joke about your dumb shirt. Yeah. But while that might be super cringy in, in like the world of stand-up comedians, I almost feel like there may be a trick there for people who feel an extra level of social anxiety in public scenarios and social settings yeah. where maybe you do wear some kind of odd shirt or hat or you have a baseball glove bag that you carry around something to 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 kind of serve as an icebreaker with strangers where once you once you yeah. get over that initial hump of like oh you know look at my weird bag or look at my hat or you know mm -hmm. see a shirt like that every day then you're yeah. engaged enough that the rest of the conversation is way less awkward it's always that beginning that's the worst mm -hmm. It is. And you're doing other people a favor by having something that makes it easy for them to talk to you. Okay. So uh, if you have just, just anything, I mean, I've seen people do this really successfully wearing uh, like at VidCon, uh, VidCon uh, wearing t-shirts from like Nerd City and Gus Johnson, a lot of the ones that you wear, you know, then somebody else, if you're hanging around can just be like, Oh yeah, I, I love Nerd City or like the the Gus like cat tiger design. Like you can start a thing. You can push the the start button on the conversation with a little kind of throwaway comment about that, you know, that shirt. So um, you, you're giving somebody else a really easy way to approach you. And that's why the bag, which I got the bag just because I love this bag. And it's really useful in terms of traveling. Like the way the inside of the bag breaks down is good to me. Um, but I, I realized immediately, immediately that, um, yeah, the first time I, I took it to an event, three people, uh, started conversations with me about it. Mm -hmm. Um, that was, that was awesome. It just made it easy for them to come up to me when they didn't have any idea who I was or anything. It was just like, Hey, I like your bag. Um, so, yeah, when you think about everybody else being in exactly the same position that you're in, uh, doing a little thing to make it easy for them to talk to you, 
that matters. And as we're talking about this, I'm thinking of some really successful ways that people have deployed what amounts to be a trick, even though they're totally sincere. And so it's kind of like clickbait, right? You don't want to be clickbaity in person. Okay. You don't want to wear clickbaity things. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, you want your like conversational click through rate to be very high. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, it, it can be tougher too when you want to talk to people who are like above your station in life. Uh, and that's a perpetual thing at events like VidCon where, uh, small and, and starting creators are like, how do I go? How, what do I, how do I go talk to iDubs? How do I talk to Phil DeFranco? How do I, you know, whatever it is, like, how do I even do this? One thing that a couple Australian guys have done every year is um, Cakes by Chapa and uh, Matthew McKenna and um, I forget I forget who else. So Alonzo Larone is with them. I don't know if he's part of this initiative, but they're always hanging around together at those events. And uh, they do a charity thing where uh, people, you know, top YouTubers sign a thing and then they go home and auction it off for, for this charity thing with YouTubers. And all of a sudden there's a reason for them to go up to somebody super famous and just say, Hey, this is what we're doing. This is our project. Uh, here's the Sharpie. Do you mind? Um, and yeah, like who turns that down and they look like they're doing a good thing. They look like good guys as they're doing it. Uh, so they've given people a purpose to receive their conversation. And, you know, I forget the item. Um, it's usually fairly large because it has to, in the end, accommodate a whole lot of signatures. Uh, but if you see somebody walking around with like, you know, like a ukulele with a million signatures on it, like there's a conversation piece. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> it's just a good example of them having a thing to make it easy to talk to other people and easy for those other people to talk to them and they look good, you know, as they do it. So, and also remember them by when they see them next year, you know, because yeah. it only takes that one time. Yeah. It was the first thing that, that I really saw. Um, and actually I met those guys because, uh, somehow I was talking to, uh, to Chapa and he pulled out a little koala. He had a bag. He had, he carried with him a, a, a bag, uh, which was full of, uniquely Australian candies and like little, you know, koalas that like grab on to, you know, grab on to stuff. And he, everybody he met, he threw this like four cent thing at, mm -hmm. um, immediately conversation ready to go. And I happened to have a koala in my bag too. So I was like, yeah, we both have, what are uniquely Australian candies? Like, like, P powdered sugared tarantulas and <laughs> rock candy, deadly venomous snakes. <laughs> so <laughs> one of them was a powdered candy. And I remember this so distinctly because I had it in my bag and we, we were at a thing. Um, what is it? Mark of key of awesome. Uh huh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mark Douglas. Mark Douglas. Right. And I, I was talking to him and I was like, look, I've got this weird candy. Do you, you know, do you, do you want some of it? It's, it's like liquamade powder kind of thing, whatever. And he's like, yeah, okay. Um, and so I put it in my hand and like threw it back like this. And like five minutes later, he's like, um, I, I gotta, I gotta tell you some of that white powder, 
is still in your mustache just below your nose. <laughs> He's like, you might want to take care of that because I, I know what it is, but other people could get the wrong impression. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, some some strange Australian man gave this to me. I have no idea. I have no idea where it came from. He had a koala, you know, we bonded. All of a sudden I was in the bathroom with him and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like, showing it, you know, oh, sorry, go on. I like the idea of having like a little stuffed animal thing, like mm -hmm. maybe to take pictures with or, you yeah. know, that would be a fun thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a little thing that's relevant to who you are or where you come from or, um, you know, what your channel and stuff is about. It, at a certain point, it can get like weirdly promotional, you know, like if you have a channel mascot or something and... Uh, you're asking people to take pictures of it. Well, they don't know what your channel's about. You know, they don't want to be like endorsing uh, something super strange that turns out to be a prank. There was a guy, I have a perfect example of this. There was a guy who used to walk around with this puppet and his YouTube channel was like the puppet. And I don't remember what it was called. It was like Dr. Wacky or whatever. And he is exactly an example of what you're talking about where it was obnoxious because he would come up with come up to you like talking to you as this puppet but it was his gimmick so it wasn't okay. cute it was more like you said self-promotional and very self-serving and mm -hmm. it's like bro like I don't want to be in like on your YouTube channel with your weird puppet like right. that 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 definitely came across to me as disingenuous like you don't actually want to talk to me you just want content and like I'm not interested in that <laughs> yeah yeah and i i did the same thing with my little koala jeeves uh who i take most places uh i i asked um uh Zande to <laughs> to because i was sitting next to him at um at one of the the vidcon events and i was like hey this is this is weird. <laughs> and I actually made it weirder. Okay. And this segues into the point that I really want to make. Um, because I knew, you know, not to put him in an awkward spot where it's like, Hey, this is going to go on a billboard somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. I was like, you know, it's kind of like the unofficial little mascot for my company and, and like, but I'm not going to use this in a weird way. I promise this is like for my own personal gratification and use. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh yeah yeah in you hindsight that's like three times gratification yeah. no that's not the words that i would use at all personal gratification like look i just need to take this back to my hotel room <laughs> yeah, so, so it's not like weird trust me um uh, it was you know, I just wanted to send it to like three friends be like, Oh, can you believe this? You know, like right. I posted it on Facebook for friends only or something. Um, but anyway, in hindsight, you know, I, I could have been smoother on that one. Yeah, uh, for sure. And the point on that is that like, you just have to do this stuff and, and get practice. Like you, you just have to put yourself in those positions, both in person and online, it's really no, none of this stuff is different in a discord server, you know, mm -hmm. it's just not, um, you're still talking to people for whatever reason. Um, it's easier to be ignored online. You know, somebody mm -hmm. can read your message and never respond. Whereas it's tougher to do in person. 
but the principles are pretty much the same. And you're going to do a bunch of cringy, stupid things. Um, it's just going to go badly. It's going to be awful at, at some points. Like you can take, you know, take care not to make it super awful. You know, it's easy not to be a complete and total disaster and get like escorted out of the event. Um, but you're going to look back on so many interactions and kind of facepalm. And then you'll facepalm a little less over time. And eventually, you know, you're in pretty good shape. Yeah, I'd like to circle back a second, thinking more about the networking gone gone wrong. Like the, mm-hmm. the, the people that I've thought about over the years who turned me off from them have always been the people who right out of the gate, it seemed clear that they wanted something from me. Yeah, and it, and that it wasn't like a genuine uh, kind of a general interest in like who I am or what I'm doing or hey maybe someday we can do something together. No, it was like straight away kind of like hey, here's what I want you to do or here's what I want from you, and yeah. that that doesn't go well. At least you know in my experience, like that's not how I make friends. <laughs> I don't make friends, but with people who instantly just want to use me for something like that's not a friend, <laughs> like that's not a good relationship I want to be in. No. And I've, I've said on, on other topics and, and other episodes, I've, I've made parallels with things like dating and relationships and networking is, man, it's just, it's just dating. It's long-term dating and short-term dating and, you know, that same kind of thing. And if you put it in those terms, it's really easy to understand. So you're saying, um, and I've had this happen. I've had this happen a lot. I actually think it happens a lot more to me than to you where somebody wants something because it's easier to ask me. Like, so, so as an example, the number of people who, who, want me to hook them up with Michael or uh, you or Jake straight out of the gate is shocking. I'm like, I don't know you. I can't, You even if you seem all right, I can't in good conscience just be like, yeah, here's Kevin's phone number. Here's Michael's email. Uh, you know, tell him I sent you. What could go wrong? Um, they want something that's too deep of a connection based on the 90 seconds we've been talking. Uh, that's a major turnoff when, when people want something or like, you know, I, I've seen people just straight out ask uh, pretty big YouTubers for, uh, like to do a collab um, with no with nothing that would warrant it. Like they don't have any people in common. They don't know anything about the channel. Um, yeah, like how do you think this is, is going to go? And it comes off as, as like, hey, I'd love for an opportunity to capitalize off your, you know, fame and status for my own benefit. Um, going back to the very first thing, uh, it's really like every interaction is really about the other person, and so that's the opposite of taking a sincere interest in what they do. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But would you? Would anybody go up to? you know, a guy or girl and just lead by saying like, you know, let's talk about marriage. Um, or like 10 seconds in, even, even 10 seconds in just being like, I'd like to go on a date with you. Well, that's going to creep people out pretty bad. 
and mm-hmm. nobody would want to be asked that stuff either. Uh, it's really sensible to think uh, you'd, you'd at least want to spend a lot of time talking and getting to know them before taking any kind of next step. Uh, if that's the same way the, uh, the networking stuff works out. And the Australia project here is a really good example of the patience required in letting that process play out. At that time, uh, I didn't tell them like, hey, man, I'm gunning for a, a chance to go to Australia. I'd love it. Uh, they did not jump at me and just say, like, let's work out a thing. You know, uh, it just wasn't like that. It was just, no, we talked about what we did and got along reasonably well. And, and it's like, hey, you'd love to, you know, follow along with what you do, which it's so easy now with LinkedIn and Twitter and just even subscribing to YouTube channels. Just like, you know, you don't even necessarily have to give emails anymore. Um, there are ways to contact people. So you can do that. The next step might be months down the line uh, where you start talking again. And with with Changer, um, yeah, they emailed me a few months later uh, and we started talking you know, about, about possibilities on that stuff and then sorted it out. But that only worked like precisely because both sides were patient and did not expect anything on day one. It's even weirder than your dating analogy, because with dating, you could have some sort of love at first sight, Mm. like on, on tangible or sorry, intangible connection, some sort of chemistry, whatever that is. That's not, there's no collab at first sight. Like that's not Not a thing. You don't like instantly fall in business with somebody. (laughs) No, no, you really don't. And if anybody tries, it's probably going to go very poorly. Yeah. Uh, You're right though. It doesn't work that way with creative stuff very often. Um, I'm sure there are are exceptions, Uh, but, but overwhelmingly it is the opposite where it's about long-term you know, long, just knowing people's work and, and long-term stuff. How many, um, how many people, uh, have we seen at multiple VidCons where it, it, like the conversation kind of ratchets up here and there, uh, you know, like you, you start with a two minute, like, wow, hi, this is, you know, who I am. I love your stuff, whatever. Uh, and then the next time you see them, it's a five minute thing. And then the next time it's a 15 minute thing and it just builds. Right. And so that patience is, I think it's very hard for people to, to commit to that and even to understand it because they're working so hard on what they do now, whether it's trying to get a job, whether it's um, building up a YouTube channel, they kind of want results now. And it sucks to say, trust me, the the 18 month plan on this is is way more effective yeah but it, it's kind it of is. way way more effective in, in all things <laughs> i yeah. mean no matter what you're doing it, it's very rare that you run into like think of the guests that we've interviewed almost all of mm. them are like yeah i made like a billion videos doing this other thing for like several years before mm. i figured out that like people really ended up liking this one type of content that i make and and now that's right. kind of what i i focus on or you know i've pivoted since then but it's not like all of a sudden some sort of eureka moment and 
wow, everything is perfect. Like it's just nothing really works mm-hmm. that way. It does take patience. And I think that part of the, the reason why those long-term relationships work out is because all of the people who aren't patient enough sort of sift away. You're, you're sort of separating the wheat from the chaff and yeah. the people who are still around who are still at that same level of like in mutual interest in what you're doing and what I'm doing and blah, 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 blah. It's like having an old friend, you know? Like mm-hmm. think of how many friends that you've had where you were great friends. Maybe you were like best friends, like sophomore year of high school but then whatever you grew apart and you don't really talk to them anymore but you still have this handful of friends that even if you haven't spoken in two years when you do see each other it's like you just pick up where you left off and i think that that those are the type of relationships that everyone is looking for whether it's a friendship or or a business relationship Mm -hmm. so uh, something just popped here that a really good example of of the long-term patient decent networking is not networking at all um but it's uh it's really isaac in the baby gang uh and long-term long-time vsauce fan um he did not have a networking scheme five years ago when he was like just starting high school wasn't about that but at different points at VidCons for a long time, he would come up to Jake and say, just like, I, I like what you do. This thing was cool. Uh, whatever. I, I don't, I don't think he probably ever really said much about his own videos other than maybe, you know, like, yeah, I've got a channel and I do this kind of thing, but he was so clearly interested in, uh, in other people. He did the same thing with you, right? Eventually you guys got to know who he was. You know, you'd recognize him and like, oh, it's, you know, it's nice to see you again because it was, it was a you know pleasant thing. Yeah. Um, you know, not only, I mean, it's obviously, or it's obvious that, uh, you know, that we love him, but at VidCon this year, Jake shouted out his channel on, on a panel. Somebody asked, uh, at the Q and A, somebody asked you guys, what channels, you know, what small channels do you really, really like? And, uh, well, you know, Isaac was on Jake's radar uh, from basically networking effectively over a period of years. Uh, that's a, a, a tremendous success. Um, and it happened because he was selfless, uh, selfless, like decently social, uh, didn't rush anything, never asked for any kind of shout out. Well, he gets it, you know, he gets the shout out. Uh, so he does all the selfless stuff. And in the end, it, it ends up really paying off. But he did also put himself out there. And that that's something yeah. that, you know, I've had trouble with in the past. And I'm sure many of our listeners have trouble with is just putting yourself out there at some point yeah. because you, you really have to, you know, with with the Isaac example, he would come to our Q&As. He'd come to mm-hmm. the Vsauce Q&As at VidCon and he always asked a question. He didn't just like right. sit in the back and watch and then go home and never say anything. He mm-hmm. would always be one of you know, a dozen people or so every year that would stand up and come to the mic and, and ask us a question. And, and, you know, you remember that person year yeah. after year, you know, so that's definitely an integral part of it. And I think that that's probably the part that people have the hardest time with. So 
Oh, that reminds me of what I really wanted to say earlier is, is it comes back to questions. And it's like, if you have questions preloaded for social situations, whether it's like, um, like, so what do you do for a living? Or like, how'd you come to, you know, get mixed up with whatever convention you're at, you know, who do you know here or whatever it is. I mean, you could come up with a half a dozen super generic questions yeah. to just stick in your pocket, you know, metaphorically that you can pull out to anybody that you meet and you instantly do what you suggested, which is you start talking about the other person, get them yeah. talking about themselves, and now you're rolling. If it's somebody too who's higher profile like that, you can always ask them what they're doing at that event. Like if they're, are, are you on any panels or are you doing a signing thing? Like anything that they are specifically doing at that event. And you can just say like, cause I, I don't want to miss that, you know? So what's happening when you say that you're basically going to that creator and saying, um, I really like what you do. I'm a fan. I want to go to the, the thing that's like the reason why you're here. And it's so important to me that I, I really want to make sure. I mean, you're right that there's just five or six little things that's like, who are you here with? Have you been here before? Like people like to, if VidCon, for example, if it's their first VidCon, they, they love to tell you how excited they are to be at VidCon. If it's their seventh VidCon, they're, you know, like they're excited to tell you about how they're so happy to be here for a seventh time. Um, yeah, that's a really good idea to get five or six preloaded questions that honestly don't even come off as being preloaded. I'd, I'd never know with questions like that. They're just normal conversation. And I think that they that that sort of normal conversation comes naturally to some people and to mm -hmm. others it doesn't. And for those that it doesn't, then I think being a little bit prepared ahead of time will drastically reduce the anxiety once it comes time to interacting. Yeah. Now, I know that in our Discord, we had mm -hmm. a bunch of questions we, we uh, do. specifically about this topic that you know I'd love to hit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to throw a few out here. Oh. Yeah, the first one is from James, who, by the way, uh, I hung out with James in uh, Brisbane uh, last week, and it was awesome. It was it was so cool to have uh, somebody from the Discord, you know, who I hadn't met before at all. Um, yeah, I was just in town with with somebody who you talk to every day in Discord. Well, like, why not hang out? Um, yeah, we had we had a really good time out on Saturday night, so that was a lot of fun. He asks, "Can I host an episode?" Uh, Andrew also asks, can I hope an episode or host an episode? Um, so let me scroll up to the questions that aren't, <laughs> <laughs> that aren't that. Um, yeah. So actually Isaac uh, started off. He, he said, is there anything to try before cold calling somebody? And that's wow. a, that's a good general. Yeah. Networking. That's kind a of thing. That's yeah. But that's a tough question to ask. Cause I think it, it really, uh, depends on the context of like what the cold call is. Uh, you know, I know that for a YouTuber, when it comes to brand deals, when it comes to working with different brands, at some point you got a cold call because you don't know these people. You don't know the, the person who works at Dollar Shave Club from, you know, from Adam, yeah, whatever. You, <laughs> you have no idea. So if you have no 
I, I guess it comes down to if you have no way of getting an intro to who you are looking to speak with, well, then you got to do a cold call. And, and my suggestion for that, you know, probably a cold email, not a cold call. Cold call is just uh, kind right. of email, boomer yeah. t- leftover terminology. But <laughs> cold email, my suggestion there would be to keep it brief, first of all. Yeah. Because, man, I get cold emails that are just like a novel and it's like, mm-hmm. look, I get 35 emails a day that are really important. If one of them is a gigantic novel from somebody I don't know, I, I don't have the time. Yeah. I, I don't have the time. I just don't. And people who whose job it is to read emails and to vet things all day probably get 300 emails every day. So – right. So keeping it brief, keeping it concise, getting to the point, yeah. I think is extreme. That That's like priority number one as far as I'm concerned. And then priority number two would certainly be explaining who you are, why yeah. you're emailing, and sort of like what kind of value you bring mm-hmm. to this potential future collaboration or relationship. It's really time intensive and uh... – yeah, it's really time intensive. Uh, but if you if you are a legitimate fan of what somebody is doing, uh, get involved on that side before before you contact them. And it's that works even for job type stuff. Like retweet their stuff, share uh, their things, comment on all of their Facebook posts and uh, tweets and all of that. Like names rise to the top in terms of familiarity, even if somebody has a tremendous amount uh, of traffic. And so when uh, over time they recognize that name as somebody who's, who's stuck around. Like I know that uh, Kevin, I know that there are a bunch of names for, uh, from people who don't make content on YouTube, but have commented on a load of Vsauce 2 videos over the years so that they're known to you at this point, even though they haven't reached out. Well, if they did, the odds are better that you would recognize them. So before, if you do have to cold call, involve yourself in what the person or the company or the brand does. You'll be more familiar with what they're doing. So that cold call is going to be more effective anyway, because you're essentially researching where they're at. Um, but, but yeah, just be a legitimate or have a legitimate interest in them before, before you do it. And the, the cold calls are far more likely to, convert for lack of a better word yeah Yeah. and and also just expect a lot won't get returned and that's just kind of the nature of cold emailing anyone is like you got to send out a hundred of those things to get a few responses usually right and really really quick another big theme that i wish we'd mentioned uh, much earlier is that you just have to be comfortable knowing that very few of these conversations are going to lead to much so Mm -hmm. if if you go out trying to just make something important or useful out of every conversation you have, it's going to go really badly. It just doesn't work that way. I don't know how many conversations I had at VidCon this year. It's not like I'm going to everybody's country. No, I went to one. (laughs) Like one thing worked out. And guess how many things worked out the year before that? Zero, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So again, it takes a lot of time and... Not much tends to happen, uh, but you meet some cool people until something happens. So that's actually a question that we will get to. Um, but Jeff, 
Jeff Davis asked, uh, what's your favorite and least favorite platform to network on? Oh, favorite by far is Twitter. I love Twitter. I agree. There's not even a close second. It's like Twitter is way up here. It's like Twitter is like the Jerry Rice of receiving records. (laughs) And then like everything else is like, you know, Larry Fitzgerald or whatever, like way at the bottom at number two for a lot of reasons. I think that there is a level of irreverency on Twitter that makes it comfortable for everyone. Like there's just a lot of kind of nonsense on Twitter where people's, well, at least in my circle, I think there are probably plenty of circles of Twitter where people are on edge all the time. Uh, right. Not yeah. the people that I that I speak with on Twitter. The people that I speak with on Twitter are there to have fun, to play with ideas, uh, to poke fun at the world, and generally to like release stress and relieve stress and let off steam rather than going there to like build up steam which obviously also is part of Twitter. Yeah. But what's your that, least favorite? I, I, I'm, I'm not going to say a whole lot about uh, the, that because I agree completely. Twitter is awesome to me. It's low stakes. It's fun. It's quick. Uh, you can have group chats that are amazing. Um, you know, where like-minded people are just hanging out. Uh, and I, I actually see really, I'm so I am going to say more about this. I see really exceptional networking happening within the group chats where people are helping each other out and it it leads to good things. It leads to really good things. And in some cases, decent money uh, for some of these creators, but they, their version of networking tends to be helping out the other people. Mm -hmm. So they give and give and give and give and give, and then maybe they, they get something from it. If they don't, who cares? They've done a good thing. They're having a good time doing it. And they've made some really good friends and contacts. But uh, it's a platform where it's very easy to be a fan of someone and show your interest in them. Uh, it's easy to help them out even in little ways like like retweets. You know, I I, yeah. I, I love when, when people retweet a v, uh, Vsauce 2 video. Mm-hmm. It's not a big deal. It's not going to be a million views from their thing. I don't care. It makes me feel really good that they looked at your video. It's like, I want to show this to the people I know. So yeah, it can be that stuff. It can be the, the group chats and all that. Um, you know, you can, you can make a lot of really good friends on Twitter. Least favorite platform. Yeah. yeah the only think? other thing I would say about oh. Twitter is that in my experience, People are more themselves on Twitter, I think, mm. than they are on something like Instagram or YouTube. Because to me, Instagram and YouTube still fall kind of under this, it's content bubble. Like, here's right, my right. content. Whereas yeah. on Twitter, quite often, you know, you'll see Grande like go off on YouTube about like some policy or something like Grande is not going to make that piece of content on YouTube or on Instagram. You know, that's where like his jokes go, but on Twitter he's kind of free and and so are many other creators to really speak their mind on things in a way that other platforms are just not a good fit for at all. So with that in mind, I'd say my least favorite, if it's considered a social platform would be YouTube but I don't mm. consider it a social platform. I consider it more like a, a media platform. So yeah. then my actual least favorite would be Facebook. 
I hate Facebook. I think Facebook is garbage. There's almost like nothing worthwhile on Facebook. It's this bizarre blend, at least for me, of like friends and family along with some people who really aren't friends and family. They're more like extended acquaintances and like work acquaintances. I don't know. It's just kind of like a mess there. So I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook. I don't really use it. And uh, I don't plan to anytime soon. I've thought about deleting my Facebook a lot. Yeah, I barely use mine now. Um, and, and it's a strange mix in terms of networking. You know, we talked about how you've really got to warm up to letting somebody in, <laughs> right? It's going to take a long time to build a relationship like that. On Facebook, even when you add somebody straight away, it's like immediate access to a lot about them. And that's, you know, that's, that's a little strange. Um, it's too much too soon in a lot of cases. It yeah. is weird. Yeah. Cause all of a sudden it's like, well, now you and my like aunts are going to like comment on the same thing. Yeah. Like it's a, it's an awkward platform. So that's why I don't even really use it because it's like, I don't really get anything out of this. If I end up doing something that I think that my family would love, like my extended family, like my immediate family knows what I'm doing. I don't need to, I don't need to post on Facebook for, for them to find out what I'm up to, but my extended family, they don't know what I'm doing. So like, for instance, the Navy thing, yeah. the Navy, the Navy thing I posted on Facebook because I knew that my uncles were going to be into that. And they were, they loved it. They all watched it. They all loved the video. I don't know if, if, if they watch any other Vsauce 2 videos <laughs> at all, but they yeah. loved Kevin going on the submarine that was cool to them so i shared it on facebook that was a good fit for it but otherwise i just stay away um my least favorite networking platform is snapchat because they allow you kevin to have that premium account which you know your premium snapchat snapchat is just uh, I, I don't know how it's legal. I don't think it is. Um, <laughs> Have I told my Snapchat story? I did. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> didn't yeah. I tell my Snapchat story where I downloaded it to watch Hank Green unbox yeah. the Curiosity Box, and then I didn't understand okay. it, and I deleted it within half an hour. I'm yeah. sure that I'm sure that some of the visual, uh, some of the visual uh, networking sites are are good for that. Um, or rather they're not networking sites. I'm saying, you know, like the Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok and stuff. I'm sure there are people who do network effectively from those, mm -hmm. but that's so far outside the realm of, of what I do that, you know, I just don't understand fully how to do that. Um, but I, I'm sure it exists. Uh, but yeah, I'm pretty much on board with everything that you've said about this. Yeah. I've made friends on Instagram. I've made friends with artists, uh, Kidmograph. Uh, Kidmograph right, yeah. is somebody who I became friends with through Instagram because, you know, his art is on there. So I follow a lot of yeah. artists. So Instagram is, is like my, is like the Larry Fitzgerald to the Jerry Rice of Twitter yeah. for me. It's like great career, you know, hall of famer, first ballot, mm -hmm. but you know, Twitter is definitely by far the goat. I think I'm sure it, it fits. Uh, I'm sure it fits when somebody's doing visual stuff uh, that yeah. uh, the visual platforms are, are a great fit. Uh, so, mm -hmm. you know, when I think of it in the broadest context, like generally, like, ah, 
I don't know. Uh, but yeah, with the artists and, and creatives uh, as well, like it's, it's pretty good actually mm-hmm. for, for, uh, what a lot of, I think the people listening are probably thinking about. Yeah. Um, so this is, this is a real question and it's one that actually matters. Um, I have to very quickly think of a word to substitute. Um, so James asked when networking, are you willing to, or do you think it's appropriate to tolerate complete, uh, wits? I can't think anything of, of anything like that's a perfectly good fit. Um, in order to get ahead or to make new connections through them, through them. Uh, and then is it, you know, possible to drop them. Uh, there are a lot of jerky people in, in networking, like people who you don't necessarily want to have any kind of long-term relationship with. That's, that's definitely something that comes up a lot. And it came up a lot in, you know, my, my career before, before YouTube stuff, like it's a weird ethical question, isn't it? Uh, like if you know, somebody can be valuable to you, you effectively, do you like use them (laughs) to get to the valuable thing? What do you think about that? I don't have a lot of experience with that. I don't think because like, first of all, there's just not a lot of people that I don't like. I'm just not, not the type of like, I don't know. I'm not like that disagreeable of a person to write people off. Like for the most part. Even if it's somebody who I'm like, eh, I don't really like what they do or eh, I don't really like their temperament or, you know, the things that they say. For the most part, I'm like, I don't really care. They don't bother. Like, they don't, <laughs> it doesn't affect my life that much. Uh, they can do what they want. Now, you know, with that said, I usually do avoid those people. Like, like, like I'm not going to go out of my way to try to get something from somebody who... I don't genuinely like. I don't think I've ever done that. Right. And I don't know even how I could stomach doing that. So uh, I'm sure there are people who that may be a good fit for, like they could just sort of coldly pretend that they like somebody enough to mm-hmm. extract value from them. But I'm not going to do that. Like life is too short to yeah. spend my time with somebody who like I don't want to spend my time with. There are plenty of people who I genuinely love and who I don't get to spend enough time with as is for me to (laughs) ignore them to deal with somebody who like, I don't even want to, you know, be around. So you're right about how it's a major challenge with doing that is that you can't be genuine. You can't be sincere about being interested in what they do. No, no. If if you think, if you hate them, (laughs) it's like, I hate you. (laughs) Tell me more about yourself. You piece of crap. So we actually, there's, I've got to skirt around this, but Kevin, you and I had this problem a few years ago where there was a, there was a guy who we kind of wanted to work with uh, in a, in a, on paper could have been a, a really good situation, uh, but we didn't like him, did we? Uh, I, I'm not giving a detail, enough detail for you to probably remember, but we had an encounter with him where he did something that we can't still to this day, like many years later, can't decide whether it was very rude and awful or whether it was kind of awesome. Um, 
Okay, Do we're going to have to talk about this after the podcast because I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, at okay. All. I, clearly, I just <laughs> blocked this out of my memory. My memory is bad <laughs> enough as it is. I don't remember this. No, no. But I'm and guessing that we didn't work with him. We did no, we didn't. We did not work with him. Uh, but we we didn't really like his approach on stuff, and that made it. That was kind of a non-starter because of that. Because we're like, well, is it? worth dealing with this to get to the good stuff. Like, no, there are 10 other ways to the good stuff where you're not feeling uh, terrible about, about the conversations you're having or the social parts of it. Um, so I'm sure there's a chance that something comes up where you have to deal with an unpalatable person to get to a better one. Uh, but um, I think it's extremely rare. And I think most of the time it's not going to work anyway. Yeah. yeah. I don't think so either. I can't wait to hear this story <laughs> offline. You know, I, don't I remember, man. It in, it involves it involves a custom meal. <laughs> Does that no a custom meal? Somebody even... asking at a restaurant to have a thing made for them oh, a certain way. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, why don't you just tell that story? I mean, not like obviously enough details for it to be clear, like who we're talking about. I don't think anybody would right. know him anyway, but no, I no. think it's safe to say what annoyed us in that situation. Um, well, I'll just say that I worked in the service industry for uh, like nearly 15 years, nearly 15 years. It was like 13 years. I worked in the service industry in in restaurants in bars, I did every single job you can do in a restaurant except manage one. And this person treated the waiter. We were, we were having a meal and this person treated the server really poorly. It, it was almost like being in a movie or like a TV show where some like, like jerk Wall Street guy is like, you know, uh, like mistreating some underling. You know what I yeah. mean? It was almost yep. like some like big boss, tough, tough guy who was like rich, like waggling their cigar <laughs> was like abusing <laughs> their like butler or something. <laughs> like this guy was just so unnecessarily rude to this server to make, to make this waiter give him a thing that was not on the menu. There is nothing close to it on the menu. There was I mean, there's a combination to it. of ingredients that they surely had in the in the kitchen. So it's not like he was like, you know, go down this. Actually, was that a component of it? Didn't he say at one point to like run to a convenience store and like buy the the one part if they didn't have it? Oh, I don't remember. I can't that remember. Detail. But it was that level of crazy. It wasn't, you know, like, can you make it without this? No, it was like, can you construct this thing that's not even on the menu? Uh, I know that you can do it. So just go get it done. You know, and he was, he was kind of terrible about it. And the request itself, even if he'd been perfectly polite, it would have been a bit strange. Um, but I've read things about people using this deliberately as an interview tactic uh, for potential candidates on jobs that they'll go to a restaurant and then uh, ask in advance for um, for the restaurant to make a mistake on an appetizer, uh, so that they can see the way the the person they're interviewing the candidate reacts to that problem, how they treat the server. 
uh, it's, you know, some low stakes thing like, oh, I, you know, I, I really want to get this as an appetizer. Um, and yeah, prearrange that precisely to see what they do in the situation we're talking about. And it's generally accepted that if you're a nightmarish person to customer service people, um, you know, that's going to show up in other parts of your life. But that was a yeah. really weird thing. And and we were in a position where it's like, hey, do we do we want to do a thing with this guy? Um, because it will lead to some pretty good stuff. And we eventually just kind of didn't, right? You know, it just, it just wasn't going to be viable in any way. If you're going to have a, if you're going to work with somebody, you really should, I think you should like them or else uh, it's going to go badly. You know, if not today, then, 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 then tomorrow or a year from now with some horrible blow up occurs because it is a relationship. It is, yeah. I mean, you're, it's not a romantic relationship, but it's everything else without the romance. <laughs> mm-hmm. You really yeah. have to um, deal with each other's strengths and weaknesses. And if that dynamic is such a turnoff for us of somebody like mistreating a waiter that way, it's like, <laughs> I, I don't want to do, I don't want to do anything with this person. I don't even want to have another meal with them. Like, good luck. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not a nice person and, uh, I like nice people. <laughs> Everybody likes nice people. And the rule yeah. on the rule on this stuff is that, uh, a guy named Jeffrey Gittimer wrote some books on sales, a lot of books on sales. And, uh, and he has this one line that just applies perfectly and it's all things uh, being equal. People like to do business with the people they like, but all thing, all things being unequal, they still prefer to do business with the people that they like. Uh, so having the good relationship and flow and just having somebody like you uh, is is a huge, huge thing. If somebody, if, if you're like a generally likable person, you don't have to be the life of the party at all. You just have to be a decent, decent person. If you do that, you're not super weird. You do the things you say you're going to do and you make deadlines like you are a hero. You have, you are absolutely going places. You're in the top 10% of whatever industry you're in by default. <laughs> like, it's, it's nuts. I felt that way, you know, going into the workshops, especially the, the younger people and newer people, they want, they want to know like what's kind of the silver bullet that's going to make my stuff blow up and like make me successful and this and that <laughs> 90 seconds. You can say, most of the really important stuff. And it's that list that, that mm-hmm. I just threw out. And most of those components we've talked about before here, like it's shockingly simple. <laughs> and the networking part is just that easy person to talk to kind of thing. Um, you can get experience on that stuff just by going to little, you know, little uh, get togethers about other things, other like businessy things that are local like before or, you or just things that you like like just just conventions that you're yeah. into like a magic mm-hmm. the gathering convention or absolutely like like horror movie convention or mm-hmm. anime or whatever it is yeah. you know that's way lower stakes but still a lot of the same basics apply and you're mm-hmm. just kind of strengthening those muscles and that and that's really what it's mm-hmm. all about well that ended up being a really good 
discussion. I'm super glad that, you know, we went through that stuff. Do we have more questions to answer for the patron only uh, section? Uh, we do. We do. There are two options okay. on this. Uh, yeah. If you want to, if you want to have that section. Yeah. 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 Let's do that. Let's Yeah, uh, let's do the rest on the other side. Okay. All right, cool. Well, I hope that this was helpful to everyone, no matter if you're a budding YouTuber or a musician or a comic book artist, or just a fan of all of those things and want to go to these conventions and, and meet the people who you're a fan of. Ultimately, I think that the, the basics apply across the board, no matter what angle you're coming from. And at the end of the day, it's like everybody feels awkward <laughs> in these situations. Yeah. They're You're not all, alone. Yeah. They're all in the same position you are. I mean, that's the, the really crazy part here is all the anxiety and the what do I do? Like, how can I make this work? Everybody else is thinking the exact same thing, except for like 10 people in that room who already have it made. And even then they face their own challenges with networking. Like as, you know, I've seen this, I've witnessed this. I'm certainly not... Um, you know, famous myself, but I know a bunch of famous people <laughs> and I see the way, uh, I see the way, uh, they experience things like, like conventions. Um, man, it's way easier to be a nobody and try to get, uh, you know, deal with the stuff that we've been talking about than it is to be the high profile one who has to still network effectively. Um, <laughs> yeah. it's really difficult in so, so many ways. Uh, and I wish, um, that's something that we should get into at a later date because it's actually, even though most people are unlikely to be in that position anytime soon, uh, it's really fascinating <laughs> and at times hilarious too. <laughs> for sure, to, for sure. To hear about some of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we'll we'll discuss that in a later episode. For now, we're going to head through our Patreon wormhole. We're going to hit some more of our patrons' questions. If you want to head over there, just go to patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. That's where we will be. If not, that's okay. Until next time, we will be here. We will see you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. Until then, see you, Space Cowboys. Thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. There's more episode waiting for you, but to keep listening, sign up at patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. You could hear the rest of our conversation, get exclusive content, join the Idea Baby Gang, and more. Thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. If you liked what you heard, and I certainly hope that you did, please subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a review on Podchaser and Apple Podcasts. Those reviews really go a long way. While you're at it, you can also watch the video version of this show on youtube.com slash thecreateunknown. Check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. You can get the full episode. You can join the Idea Baby Gang, become one of the known access creator services. There's a lot going on on our Patreon. It's all part of phase three of TCU. So go to patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. Follow us on social media. We tweet at Create Unknown. We're on Facebook and Instagram at The Create Unknown. You can follow me, Matt, and the show on Podchaser for podcast updates. You can also find a link to our Discord in the show notes. We love our Discord because we get to talk to you and you get to talk to us. So join our Discord. Our website is thecreateunknown.com. The Create Unknown is an unknown media production. We've been your hosts, Kevin Lieber and Matt Tabor. Check out what we do on YouTube at Vsauce2 and on Twitter at KevLieb and TaborTCU. Links in the show notes. Executive producer is Dave Kiney. This episode was edited by Zalgaloo.
Our theme song is by the incredible Mega Drive. Special thanks to Paula Lieber, Mo Lewitt, and Dorothy Kiney. Until next time, see you, Space Cowboys. <laughs>